Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. And brought to you by official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Mosazia Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We're here with a terrific lady who's done it all. She's a former model, actress, cheerleader, figure skater. She began her wonderful career at the age of seven. She appeared in Playboy, Cover Girl, and also a VJ as well, too, for the Playboy channel. And also, she also was in Hot Rock as well, too. And also, um, she was also cheerleader for the USFL's LA Express, and she transitioned to global print sales, later became vice president of business development, worked in insurance and financial industry, became a success, and she also got to be um, an author of a couple of books, Here Comes a Son and Son of a Boss. And we'll talk about uh, how she went from being a model, actress, cheerleader to getting insurance and an author as well. Just an amazing story, an amazing career, and live, ladies and gentlemen, from Plus Studios in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, the former model, actress, cheerleader, figure skater, and also um, global sales and insurance um, industry leader, and the author of the book, Son of a Bosque. Here, he, here she is, ladies and gentlemen, the multi-talented. Deborah Driggs. Deborah, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Oh Thanks for joining gosh, us today. What an introduction. You know, my gosh, you could do the eulogy of my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> eulogy, you you're not dead yet. You're you not dead yet. <laughs> I was like, well, I gotta I gotta record that. <laughs> what? Well, yeah, actually, it's kind of like I at the very end. Let's just call her the reinvention queen. You know? Yes, that's right. And I think we do need to reinvent as well, too. And when you thought about the eulogy, maybe you think of Monty Python's, I'm not dead yet. Yeah. I mean, but gosh, what, you know, it's like, I'm like, wow, you know, I guess I could pat myself on the back, which is so hard to do. And just say, yeah, you have done, you have dipped, you know, into a lot of different areas in life. And what a great, what a great experience to have. And a lot of learning lessons come along with that. So thank you for the beautiful introduction and thank you for the time and having me on your show. And, and it's a pleasure as well, too. You got an amazing career. You're a formal model, actress, cheerleader, figure scare. You began a career at the age of seven. You appeared in Playboy, Cover Girl, you're a VJ for the Playboy channel. And also you were in uh, Hot Rock as well, too. And uh, you're a cheerleader for the USFL's LA Express. You transitioned to global print sales, later became vice president of business development, and also worked in insurance, financial industry. And you also uh, also an author of the book, Here Comes the Sun, and also Son of a Bosque, which is a story of your grandfather, Mark Arietta, and of course, um, being basically a story of survival and more. And before getting all that, Deborah, tell us how you first got started. Gosh, you know, I think, you know, the, the, to go to the very beginning of all of that was the desire to perform. And that was the figure skating, you know, just getting up every, you know, you don't get up at 4am in the morning, unless you really love what you're doing, especially as a kid, because mm -hmm. that's a big, that's a big commitment. And, you know, I didn't have a social, a social life. I had, you know, skating and school and that was it. And I liked my life that way. I liked I liked what I got from skating because my home life was not so warm and fuzzy. It wasn't a fun, you know, there, it was hard at home and there was a lot of arguing and yelling and fighting and, and um, verbal abuse going on. And so I feel like my skating was that outlet to kind of like grow and learn and have beautiful coaches and mentors. And I, I understood that at a really young age, that that was a gift. And so when I stopped skating at like right around 14, 15 years old, I remember that for me was like the first kind of codependent death because skating was my life. And I, I had so many relationships there and coaches and mentors that to lose that at that age, I really had no no tools in my toolbox yet and didn't know how to, what to do. And so that was the first thing that kind of got swept under the rug, so to speak. And then right at the same time, my parents got divorced, which was, you know, like two deaths. So now I've got the death of my parents and the death of the skating and kind of really lost at a young age. And so I went into dance because that was kind of the natural progression from my skating dance and cheerleading and still performing. Mm -hmm. And so when I won the spot on the USFL for the LA Express, that was the first time I performed in front of thousands of people because 
there were thousands of people at the Hollywood Palladium for that first audition. My routine ended up on all the five o'clock news. Wow. Yeah, it was a big deal. And that was my first taste of really performing at the Coliseum in front of big audiences and being on the news and, you know, doing like all of a sudden we were doing um, promotional appearances and the morning shows were having us as, you know, the new cheerleaders and Paula Abdul was teaching our routines. This was all 1983. Wow. And so so that was kind of, I think, the beginning for me of like, this is what I want to do with my life. I just want to perform. You know, mm. I was young. I was 19 when I was a cheerleader and I didn't know any better, thank goodness, because I probably would have today talked myself out of it, <laughs> but I didn't know any better. I just thought I want to perform and this is so fun. I love all this attention. And I think that right there was the first addiction because it was like, I liked being in the spotlight and I liked having the all eyes on me and people coming up to me and grabbing me for an autograph after the games and, and all of that. And I liked what came with all that and I'm not going to lie. I liked that attention. And so there were, it, so it was no accident that I ended up in Japan and began my modeling career. And then, you know, I would say things out loud, like I'm going to do commercials and I'm going to be an actress and everyone in my family was like, you know how many people make it in that business? Or, you know, like they had no clue what to say back to me because nobody in my family was in the entertainment world. And I literally moved to North Hollywood on my own at 22 and began a career and did it all. I mean, there was no nepotism. I didn't know anybody. And Playboy came knocking in 1989. So I had already, I'd already uh, got a, got an agent and was doing commercials and, and booking uh, catalog work and, and modeling work. So, you know, I had, I had some stuff under my belt and then Playboy came calling and that was a whole, that, that opened up a whole other world. That's, that's really when, you know, Playboy was probably the number one magazine in the world. Mm -hmm. It was 1989. And you know, you had to go to lengths to get the magazine. You had to have a subscription. So it was the number one subscription in the world. And, and it was probably um, uh, a thousand girls a day would send in Polaroids and beg basically to be brought into LA for an opportunity to be in the magazine. And so wow. I didn't realize all that until I was sitting in the makeup chair in the famous Playboy building on Sunset. And I'll never forget, uh, Mary was doing my, her name was Mary, I can't remember her last name, but she was doing my makeup. And she said, you know, Playboy gets over a thousand applications a day, a day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, really? Like, I think <laughs> at that moment, it hit me that, oh, I, I, I kind of, this kind of fell into my lap, you know? And so, so yeah, it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And how they, and how they contacted you was just like into how they found out about you. Was it through the um, LA express? Was it through um, the channels entertainment? It's just like, you know, how do they, how do they first come in contact? It's like, how, how did they discover you? Yeah. Great question. So no, uh, LA express was in 1983. So I, from 83 to 89, I had already been modeling and working in the industry and I was with an agency called Mary Webb Davis. And my agent at that time, her name was Vivian. She was a British woman and she was my agent. And she called and said, Playboy has a new book coming out called The Lingerie Book. And they'd like to see you huh. for an audition for the cover of that, of that book. So I went in for the audition and it was, it was very clear within an hour of that audition that they wanted me to come and test to be a play a Playboy centerfold. And, you know, I, I remember getting the call and thinking that can't be right, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, it, it, I had to like kind of go back and forth with a lot of people on whether or not it was going to be a good idea for my career choice. Mm -hmm. I was real naive at that time. You know, I didn't really know if I wanted to go down that path. And everyone at that time said it would be a great idea 
it was a different time in the history of Playboy. It mm -hmm. was the number, like I said, it was the number one magazine in the world. So right, I remember we, that. And guys would line up just to get the latest issue. Even it's like say with Carol Alter or Cindy Crawford and all that. It's like yes, some, some guys are fighting killed just to get that yes. just that piece. And and there were uh, at that time. Gosh, I, I can't remember the number, but it was in the hundreds of thousands of uh, of uh, fans, Playmate fans, just for the centerfolds. And so we did a lot of promotions back then. You know, once you were a centerfold, then you did promotions. And these, the there were a lot of fans that would show up just to have you sign their their issue. So it was a really big deal. And and from that, then I I was the first VJ for Playboy's Hot Rocks which opened up a whole bunch of other doors. And that's how I ended up, you know, I will say this, that I was doing really well up until Playboy, but when Playboy hit, all of a sudden I was being called in for everything. Wow. Everybody wanted to meet me and the my career just took off because everybody's like, oh, we want to hire her. <laughs> and so, and then I ended up on the Oprah Winfrey show and, the Vicky show and, you know, just started doing Howard Stern, you know, all those, because back then that's what you did. You did, you just did the circuit of all the talk shows and radio shows and all of that. It's, it's very different today, obviously, but back then it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you know, spanning that time as well too, social media makes it a lot easier. How did your family react to the news that um, you got on Playboy and got to be like number one centerfold and everything like that? There was really, it was a very, it was just a reaction of that's Debbie, you know, that's, you know, of course, because I think they were already kind of like, oh, she's doing, she's on that commercial and, or she, you opened the paper and I was in a Sunday catalog ad or, you know, they were used to kind of seeing me doing stuff and seeing me on TV. And I also was a model on the fashion channel at that time too you know within those years so i so i think they were starting to kind of get used to the fact that i was actually doing this and making a career out of it mm -hmm. and so when playboy came along i think it was like oh okay she got she got picked for that i don't know you know who knows i you know i wasn't you know i it's funny because when i look back on that time i wasn't really close with anybody in my family and i wasn't I didn't know what their reactions were. I know that I wanted to do a promotion in Washington state and there, they were a little more conservative and they weren't interested in having me come. Mm -hmm. um, there were a few things like that. Cause I have family in Washington state, but other than that, I just, you know, because I don't have real close bonds with the people in my family, it, it just seemed like another, another job. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, we'll get to more about your family. We'll get more into your book. We'll talk about your amazing career going from um, the modeling industry, the actress industry, and also into uh, global sales as well, getting in the business sector with Deborah Driggs. But first, you listen to the Mike Wagner Show at the themikewagnershow.com, powered by SoundCloud Studios. Visit online at soundcloudstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. SoundCloud Studios is the answer. SoundCloud Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition way. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. It's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at soundcloudstudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show. Get 20% off your first project. SoundCloud Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author, Mian Molsonzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you love Missing by Mia Molsonzia, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molsonzia has garnered great reviews and Eve 11 endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Mineos. So grab your copy today for goals Missing by Mia Molsonzia. Did you say Forbes Riley? Forbes Riley, yes, we'll get to that in just one minute. And the Mike Wagner Show. Forbes. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. Yeah, so shout out Forbes. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I love yes. her. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. What a wonderful person. Yes. And um, we'll get to more about that. And also the Mike Wagner Show can be heard on 40 podcast platforms, heard in Harvard countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music. 
Also on Hamilton Radio every Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Also on BitChute, Rumble as well, and a few podcast platforms. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to The Mike Wagner Show on the YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow The Mike Wagner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out The Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Weiner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Molsonzia for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also t-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Molsonzia. Check it out today. I'll support the Mike Weiner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and themikeweinershow.com. Make sure you do so today. And Forge Riley also gave a big testimony about Missing as well, too. And she all you know, all the love as well, too. So <laughs> love, love Forbes. She is, a, she is a big burst of love and energy. I love her. Oh, definitely do. And uh, next time we talk to her, we'll talk to our sponsor. We'll let them know that as well, too. And, um, you know, get in touch as well, too. So, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned Forge Riley as well. So that yeah, is so of course. Amazing. Yeah, Forbes. That's right. We're giving She's a lot the of queen. She's the queen of pitch. <laughs> she's the queen of pitch yeah oh yes yes i think I, she i think she has sold over a billion dollars worth of products she is just such a high performer you know and speaker fabulous mm -hmm. speaker yeah yeah definitely too and of course you raked in millions as well too that you uh went on to the, um you know you transitioned from the modeling business acting you also got into um the uh, global print sales and, uh, you know, yeah. tell us about the transition. You went from playboy to uh, being on the um, BJ, uh, hot rock channel for playboy as well too. us, uh, the LA express and you know, the transition going from that over to sales. And uh, of course, you know, it was, um, you know, one of the transitions that uh, you made like, you know, fairly seamless with your personality. Well, you know, at 40 years old, divorced and not a lot of money, you know, you have, you, you, you get, you have to grow, you have to stretch, you have to reinvent. Mm -hmm. And first I went into real estate and it was right around the 2008 time. And, and I worked in a second home market. And so that didn't work out and I could see that coming and it was not fun because I started out, I was doing really well. And then that crashed. And then I met somebody, I did a couple of odd jobs and then I met somebody who owned a global print business. And he said, well, if you can sell real estate, you can sell print. And I said, are you sure? You know, and I said, <laughs> you, know, and then it, you know, I'm like, I don't know. So, so we really worked out where I would work on a draw first to just kind of see if I could add value to his company. And I did immediately. And so then I was like, head of he put me head of business development. Nice. And, but yeah, I think the gift, the genius that I have is I have no call reluctance. I don't have a, the fear of calling people and talking to them and letting them know what I'm doing. And so I called everybody mm -hmm. and, and I brainstormed with ideas. And that's why he made me head of business development, because I decided that we should get into the the standee business in the, mm -hmm. in the, in the entertainment world. And that I had connections with that. And so, you know, I worked really hard to break into that business. That's a hard business to break into. And then, you know, we, we had deals together through Revlon and Hallmark and all of those types of print procurement companies. But really what happened during that time is I was living in New York and my kids were living with their dad. I was getting back on my feet and I decided to get my life insurance license while I was doing that. So on the weekends, I was studying to get, because I was in with one of the biggest brokers in the life insurance industry. And in two, around 2011, I kind of switched over from print to life insurance. And by 2000, the end of 2012, I was the number one life agent three years in a row. And nice. that was just, they didn't, they were like, who is this person? You know, because <laughs> I mean, I, I may, I qualified for the million dollar round table and, and I had a good run with life insurance until COVID hit. And then COVID I had to reinvent again because, because I live in LA and the restrictions in LA were so, so bad. And so we really shut down here. And, and so all the partners 
went either to Tennessee or Florida or Virginia or New York, I stayed in LA and, and wrote the book. So, um, so yeah, I, I've worn a lot of hats and I've had a lot of success and I don't say that to, to brag or, or anything like that. I say that for anybody who's listening, that that's possible, you know, that, that a girl that was a cheerleader, dancer, model, cover of Playboy, you know, how do, how does that happen? How do I end up from the cover of Playboy to the head of sales in an, in an industry that I, I really had to learn as I went it, those things are possible in life. And I think we, we, we get scared sometimes to reinvent and try something new and there's belief systems that can hold us back. And I had a lot of horrible stories. You know, I had things like, well, I never graduated from college, you know, like, you know, I, I hear those this. stories all the time. I never right, graduated like, from college, never graduated from high graduate school, from never got college. GED. Why, why, why? You know, I hear all the time and social media has really exploded where it's like, it's getting me very common these days. It's like, you yeah, know? but, the, but the, what I mean is like my stories and my belief system for myself was so like, well, I don't have a college education. I, I don't have a degree. I don't have the, but really it's like, that's, that those are just stories. Those are just beliefs because I didn't need any of that. I needed people skills, networking and hustle. And mm -hmm. I had those, those were my genius. And, and, you know, being an insurance expert isn't what got me the deals. It was that people really liked doing business with me. I sh showed up and that's 80% of sales is showing up. So, um, so that, you know, I say that to anybody that's listening that might, you know, be scared to reinvent. And we know, you know, cause during COVID a lot of people had to reinvent. And so that I was one of them cause I, we got shut down for two years in Los Angeles. And I thought, well, I've always really liked writing and I really want to write. And so I started, I started out with writing a weekly blog and all of a sudden people were tuning in to that. And then I wrote this book and then I wrote another book. And so, you know, it's, do I think I'm an exceptional writer? No, but I don't have to be, I just enjoy doing it. And that's the whole, that's the whole reinvention key is that you just do what you love doing. And I, you know, I'm kind of on the journey right now and it's beautiful. I don't know where, where mm -hmm. it might lead. Yeah. And of course, for those who are scared of reinvention as well too, what are some of the causes you think that's preventing people from, you know, reinventing like some of the, the sources, the roots, the fears and everything else you explained. It's like, you know, what are some of the underlying, underlying causes that people are cause people not to reinvent? Yeah. Those it's the stories that they tell themselves, the belief systems, Right. The, the, that story that keeps playing, well, I didn't go to college. Well, I don't have a degree. Well, I don't have the money right now. It's like all the stories and these things. And, you know, if you put all, if I, if, if I said to you right now, if you, if money wasn't an option or wasn't a, you know, if money wasn't a something in the way and you could do whatever you wanted right now, that's what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, right. and I that's what's, that's what's so cool is that you should be doing whatever it is that's in your heart and not worry about money or all of that because that'll all come. And for most people that have been on their purpose, I know because I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of mentors in my life and a lot, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of really successful people. And, you know, they all, there's one thing in common is that they all say when they're on purpose, the money just came. That wasn't the focus. Oh, I'm going to be rich. You know, it was more. Right. Like yeah. I see that all the, the time. purpose grows, right? The purpose just gets bigger and it expands. And then it's like, you have a record company. And the next thing you know, you have an airline and a hotel and, you know, you have, you know, it's so it's, it's really, you don't know where things can lead. And I think if you just show up, that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. He also talked about uh, with some of the, the pitfalls as well, too, like with the various addictions as well, too. And, of course, you know, serious matters and everything. And, of course, you know, you know, ways to overcome causes and everything else. And, of course, you went through this from yourself and uh, maybe just share a bit. And also, uh, you know, how can people learn from this as well, too, especially in the process of addiction to healing and everything else? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the other thing. So for me, 
with that having that underlying um, addiction for so many decades, and it really caused a lot of a lot of horrible stuff in my life. You know, it's it, addiction is really it's hard to deal with. And even when I was at the height of certain points in my career, that oh, you know, you're on the cover of a magazine, or oh, you booked that movie with Michael Nury, the actor from Flashdance, or or, oh, you you booked a part on General Hospital. It didn't matter because underneath it all, I was suffering and I was deep in my addiction and I didn't know it, you know? I didn't know. I didn't know that I had this addiction. I knew that there was, I knew I felt off a lot of the time, but I didn't know that it was because of alcohol. I really didn't. And it's it's a it's a really hard thing to admit defeat over something. And I, that's why it took me so long because I'm so strong and I'm such a leader. And I'm, I, I don't, I like to think of myself as like, I can do anything. You know, I did adventure racing for crying out loud. You know, I can beat this addiction and you know, you just can't, you, it's not an I thing. It's a we thing. And I think those were the most powerful lessons for me throughout my life. And I say this all the time, the most important thing that I've ever done is get sober. It's the most important. And I've had slips, you know, along the way, but I just keep showing up and I keep remembering that recovery is the number one. Because mm -hmm. without that, it's like, it's like without health, you know, there's nothing without recovery for me, there's nothing. So I really, I really stay in front of that. Mm -hmm. And you also help help others along the way too by being a healing coach. That you went through your addictions, you know, also help theirs as well too. The pitfalls, the traps, what to do about it. And you've been very successful as a healing coach as well too, about some of your journeys and, and experiences yeah. as well. Well, I think that you know, <laughs> I've been in and around coaching for twenty years, mm -hmm. even before that, really, because when I was doing my adventure racing, I was training six hours a day, and I was doing these crazy twelve-hour races. And I'd have women come up to me and say, I want you to be my trainer because they saw, you know, it's like attraction, right? Not promotion. They, you know, when people see something that you have that they want, you know, and I had women say, so I, what I did is I started this little hiking club with all these women and I was helping get them in shape because they were, they'd see me dropping my kids off at school with my workout clothes, getting ready to go train. And they'd say, well, can we train with you? And I thought, well, that was, that was really the start, I think, of my coaching endeavors, you know? And, and then I've been in and around coaching for the last 20 years. And I think the, the best way to describe really what coaching is, is that I have experiences that I share with you and I guide you on what not to do <laughs> because mm -hmm. I've already made that mistake. So if you really want to be guided into avoiding certain things, so I'll give you an example of the type of coaching that I do. So I have a woman right now who's been married for 37 years. Her husband's not being faithful and she moved out with anger. I'm done. She went and filed for the divorce and then she booked a compliment. She heard me speak on Clubhouse. And so she booked a complimentary call with me. And she told me her whole story. And at the end of her telling me the story, I asked her, are you coachable? Can I coach you? And mm. she said, yeah. And I said, I want you to call your lawyer, right? I said, write all this down, you know? So number uh -huh. one, I want you to call your lawyer and put your divorce on pause. And she was like, what? I'm like, yeah, just put your divorce on pause. And then number two, I don't want you to, I want you to leave your husband alone for 30 days. Hmm. She's like, but he's said this, he's doing this. He's, I said, no, we're going to work on you for 30 days. Nice. Interesting. And yeah. And then I said, and then, you know, I asked her point blank, is there anything that you're doing that might be kind of fogging you from the neck up? Meaning, are you drinking? Are you taking an antidepressant? Are you taking any type of medication? Are you overeating? Are you smoking? You know, tell me about your habits. So she told me three habits that she had. And I said, okay, for 30 days, put those habits down. She smoked. So I said, get a nicotine patch. And then at the end of 30 days, you know, let's see which one you're having a hard time putting down because 
as an addict, I know that if you can't put something down for 30 days, then you have, you have an addiction with it. So, so she's like, okay. And then I said, so let's leave him out of this for now. Let's work on you. Let's get you clear from the neck up and let's not make any major life decisions. Can you do that? Because what happens is, is we, we make these permanent decisions when we're in these really weak emotional states and we think it's all them or the situation or they or them or he or she, it's them, not me. And when we put that aside and we kind of look at ourselves and we do a little bit of a relationship detox, we have an opportunity to clean up our side a little bit and look at things with a new set of glasses, so to speak. Hmm, and so that's the kind of work that I do is, is it's removing the drama, removing the chaos and like kind of starting over on a new journey to get back to yourself because I don't think people divorce for a lack of love. I don't, I think they divorce because they've lost this polarity and they've have all these little sticky notes on each other. He's an asshole. She's this, he's me, he's cheating. She's a nag. You know, we have all these different scenarios going on and we don't even see who we actually married. Right. And truthfully, you know, 90% of men that are cheating on their wife, they don't want to leave their wife. They just aren't getting what they really need from the wife. And so I said, why don't we before, and maybe by the way, there's 10% where I could be totally wrong, but for the most part, and for the, for the many situations that I have dealt with this, with the clients, I've been pretty right on and I've saved a lot of people from parting ways. So what I have learned is I started out as a business coach mm-hmm. to help people with sales and mark, you know, like all that. <laughs> and what I found out was, is that most people were struggling with their relationships. And I thought, okay, well, I can help you with that. And of course, knowing your business takes on a different meaning nowadays. Well, and here's the thing. When we clean up our personal life, the business takes off, you know, but when we're, when we're living in chaos, the business is going to be in chaos. That's just the way that energy works. We have to clean up our mess and get our mindset straight to, to then function in our business, especially entrepreneurs. So I started working with a couple of people with that were wanting me to work with them as far as sales and helping them with ideas, with marketing. And, and what I came to find out was they were struggling. And that's when I thought, this is my niche. This is what I'm really good at. I can help people clean up their mess and organize their life in a way where the business runs more smoothly. They won't even need me as a business coach <laughs> you know, because it's really the personal stuff that needs to be cleaned up. And, and, and a lot of times it's right under our noses and we don't even know it. Well, that's why I said to her, why don't we look at all this first? And by the way, I said, you may feel the same way after 30 days. You may still say, I don't want to be with somebody that's cheating on me. But I said, but things might look different. And I'm hoping for the things might look different. And you might calm your emotional self down to look at this differently. Now, why, how do I know this? Because I was 40 years old and I filed for divorce in an emotional state, very angry. And it was probably one of the biggest regrets, you know, that, that I have in my life. You know, I don't, I mean, obviously I've worked through it now, but that was 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of work in the last 20 years around that. And, and how did I get to that? Because I actually, married somebody that I really loved, that I really cared about, that I really liked being with. Like we had fun together. Like we were, we, we were fun. We were a fun pair and with three beautiful children. And I blew that all up. And how do you get to that place? And I became very intrigued with it and literally went to every, some of the best coaches in the world, including Tony Robbins and Alison Armstrong and John Gray and you know, all these great coaches that are available. And I, I educated myself on what, why that happens. Mm -hmm. And so with that experience, that's what I really hope to help people with. I'm actually starting a, uh, a 90 day journey 
on February 4th, live on Zoom for people who are in my Deb's Den Club. You know, we're going to go on this healing journey. And I think it's great to go on this healing journey, even if you're in a relationship and things are going smoothly, because even when things are going smoothly, I think that's even a good time to kind of do a little reset and make sure that we're good and we are giving and contributing to the relationship because sometimes we forget. Mm -hmm. So even with that, I say the 90 day journey is a really good journey to go because you know, you never know what's going to, what's coming up. Right. Exactly. You also been on a journey as an author as well too. it gets your journey on a book, uh, son of a box as well too. It's about an immigrant story of survival and, um, and uh, gifts and bonding of family and everything. So we'll talk about that unique journey with Deborah Driggs. You listen to the Mike Widener Show at the themikewidenershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios, and brought to you by our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international warring author Mia Molson's The Missing. We'll be back with the author of um, of uh, Son of a Boss, Deborah Driggs, after this timeout. We're back with the amazing, multi-talented, former model, actress, cheerleader, figure skater, and also a uh, business uh, entrepreneur and the author of the book, uh, Son of a Bosque. Uh, also, here comes the son, Deborah Driggs, here on the Mike Wagner Show. And before we talk about journey of, um, you know, Son of a Bosque and everything else about an immigrant story of survival and buying a gifts of the family, you also wrote Here Comes the Sun. And uh, tell us about that book. So Here Comes the Sun. So I didn't write the whole book. What it was was a collaboration of women. We each wrote a chapter. And each chapter was a challenge we faced in life that we overcame. Here comes the sun. And so my chapter is entitled Suffering Quietly. And it's a chapter on addiction and the ups and downs that you go through on the roller coaster of recovery. And that's just, it's really what it is. It's, it's recovery is probably one of the hardest things to do. And that's why I enjoy taking people through. I don't take them through an addiction recovery, but I like taking people through a 90 days of healing because they're, they're similar, you know, because it's hard to take time and really look at yourself and how you're contributing in life. Mm -hmm. So here comes the sun is just got so many beautiful chapters with a lot of wisdom, a lot of great, um, the, the main author, Misty, oh God. I just spaced on her last name, Riston, <laughs> Misty Riston. She's a friend of mine. I just got on. We had a little brain blank. But, it happens um, to the best of us, even my. I know. As I'm getting, shows. I'm like, yes. whoa, whoa. Where'd my mind go? Because I was totally thinking about something else. That was, I was trying to multitask. Right. So, yeah. So, and of course, you know, brain health is another one too. I've had people on brain health, and sometimes you know, blips like happen, and we all discover it. So. Yeah. So yeah, so she asked me to write a chapter and 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 I'm actually collaborating with her on another book coming out this year called Now What? You know, like what, you know, like, okay, I lost 200 pounds. Now what? Now what? You know, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I quit smoking. Now what? You know, so uh we we had a really good time with that collaboration as well. And then Son of a Basque is a manuscript that I found in 2017. When my grandmother passed, we were cleaning out her house and there was a box in the garage with all this paperwork, like typed paperwork. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't in any type of order and it didn't really make sense, but I knew it was a book. And I, and I, the, the top was a file that had like submissions that my grandmother had sent to publishers in the early eighties. So mm -hmm. this is like a 40 year this book was written like 40 years ago. Okay. A 40 year journey. Yes. A 40 uh -huh. year journey. And here it is now in a box. So it was the only thing that I shipped from Florida to LA. And I didn't open that box until 2019. Oh, wow. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Cause it was, <laughs> it was, oh, wow. Because I opened the box and as I started kind of piecing this puzzle together, I realized it was this beautiful journey based on my grandfather's life. And it put me on a mission of the importance of writing down family history. You mm -hmm. know, it just put me on that mission of like, this is really important stuff. And, and 80% of what I was reading, I didn't really know. And I thought, wow, all my grandparents have gone now, they've passed, but I have this one grandparents roadmap. Mm -hmm. And I thought, God, what if I had all, all my grandparents roadmap? 
what if they all left behind something like this, you know, where I could really learn more about them. And then I was like, wow, I should have taken more time to interview them. And then I started like, <laughs> you know, then I started going down this whole, like, I'm going to write about, this is going to become my mission. And so I thought this is going to be a book. And I really wasn't concerned with if anybody even read it. I thought, well, if one person reads it, it was worth it. And it turned out that lots of people have read it and, wow. and have reviewed it on Amazon. And, and it is, it's a beautiful journey of one man's survival and maniacal persistence. And it's, it's, there's some, just some really beautiful gems just about how he met his wife and nice. And then, you know, how he lost his whole crew in world war two. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just so many like twists and turns, but the first chapter, it's kind of like it had me at hello mm -hmm. because the first chapter, a lot happens. It just grabs you in the first chapter. And so I'm working on the screenplay right now because I think it really should be a movie. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many interesting things. I think as far as a movie goes, it, it's interesting to see that kind of part of World War II and the tail gunner perspective, because my grandfather was a tail gunner and he was very claustrophobic. And he was in that little part of the airplane where like how he describes oh, it. Oh, yes. I, I think I've seen it where it's like, you know, you're flying this plane here. It's like a little tiny cockpit see. and here you are like, <laughs> like no, that. No, it's, it's so claustrophobic. And he describes it so really like well in the book and takes you on that. And I thought, and he, he did over 25 missions and survived. And the one mission that he didn't go on because he was in the infirmary with pneumonia, the whole his whole crew got shot down. And I think that probably was the hardest thing he had to live with up until 1998 when he passed, wow. you know, looking back now on his whole journey and he, you know, he, he had Parkinson's at the end of his life. And I remember he would shake and he had a lot of post-traumatic syndrome. And, but now that I have this book and this roadmap, you know, it's like, it's interesting because now I kind of put these pieces together of like this generational trauma of what he must've been like as a father and then passes that down to his kids. And then my mother, you know, who saw him in that light, I was the granddaughter. So I didn't, I didn't experience him as a father. I got him as a grandfather. So it's a much different experience, but to have that information, I think is so important important because it gives like my kids my kids kids this kind of like look into where they came from just from one grandparent or one great great parent grandparent mm -hmm. just a little history there you know and so anyway I went on this whole I like when I wrote so many blogs and articles and things and interviews about the importance of having a family history for generations to come and I just think just from finding this miracle, this gift, that it, it, it woke me up a little bit to, it's really, it is important, even if you don't like your family, okay? Even though <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't real close with my family. So it's not like I had this really close relationship, although I did with my grandparents. Um, but with the rest of the family, I did not. And even when you don't have a close relationship, I think it's important to take the time to really understand where they came from. It, there's something really interesting about that. And, you know, when my grandmother was dying, she, she lived to be 93 mm -hmm. and um, almost 94, really. She was wow. right before her birthday, she passed. And, and she was all of a sudden telling me stories of her, you know, started telling me stories about how in, when she was a kid, she used to run around, she's from London. And mm -hmm. she used to run bets to all the pubs. She was a runner for bets. Oh, wow. From all the pubs. And I'm thinking, you're just now telling me this. Like, <laughs> you know, because I was like, I need a piece. I need to write this down. I mean, it was such great information, but she had a wild life too, you know, and they met, she was a war bride. And so, he, you know, my grandfather grew up in the, the Delta, Colorado area. And she's from 
London. She grew up in Britain. She's British. They met during World War II. She was a war bride. She, they got married. She was 17. Wow. And they stayed married. They, they, I think they celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary before he died. That is amazing. And, and in fact, I've seen it too, where I've been in events where it's like, you know, I, I did a wedding a while back for um, a couple celebrated 50th, never got to do a dance because as soon as he got married, he had to go to war. That was very common back in the day too. And very then, common. Yes. Yeah, yes. So, you know, you know I, I love you, kiss the bride, and then off you go to war to fight whoever, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's so, and you know, she was 17 and, and then, you know, they had this very, crazy life because he would get stationed in Guam or or then they'd go back to London and then Washington and then they ended up in California. So they lived all over and they had quite an extraordinary uh, military life. And he, he was of service throughout his career in the military. He served in Korea and he served in Vietnam. And so they had a very interesting military life and then he became a detective. But there's also a whole he worked in, uh, I think right before he went to, or after World War II, he worked as a prison guard at San Quentin. Oh, it's like, wow. wait, what? You know, so and I had no idea. Maybe so, you want to see Johnny Cash, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have to say it's, it's, it's interesting to find that. And I just feel really privileged that I got to make it into a book and, and edit it and, and, go through that whole process. Cause it's really not an easy process, the whole writing and all of that. And, and I learned so much doing it. Mm -hmm. It was, it was emotional too, because it's my grandfather. And so, you know, to make decisions about a book that he, he wrote, you know, I had to change a few things in the book and, and, and then we decided it was going to be a historical fiction and, and some of the characters didn't really make sense. So we had to make some changes with some of the characters. And so to work on somebody else's work and writing, and you know, my whole goal was to keep it as authentic as I could to what he originally wrote, which mm -hmm. was beautiful. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what else do you want uh, readers to uh, get from the book? What else? Oh, they're just gonna be on this amazing journey. I, I actually, this was a great story. I, one of the girls that she, at this, at the, where I get my hair done, she's washing my hair, and she says, "Oh, I read your book," and I said, "You did?" And she said, "Yeah, I read your book." And she's, and I said, "How old are you?" And she said, "I'm 24." And wow. I said, "Well, what did you think of it?" And she said, "I loved it." She goes, "I told my brother he has to read it," and so I thought that was a great testimony. I said, "Please go online and and write that testimonial because for a 24 year old to be interested in." And it, she goes, no, I thought it was such a great read. So I think that if you want to go on a really good hero journey, it's a hero journey, persistence, mm -hmm. persistence, leadership, hero journey, you know, somebody who just doesn't give up and um, gets to be of service and looks at it that way, you know, that looks is. at it, looks at it like I get to be of service and all the the things that come with that, you know, it's not all a, a, you know, it's not all glory and roses. It's it's work. It's it's he he was a worker among workers, and so that's it's a good hero journey. And I think, I think anybody of any age really, like I I don't even want to narrow. I don't want to narrow it down to a who it's for because for a twenty four year old girl to say I read your book and I loved it was like amazing to me because here I was thinking it was going to be for men ages 45 to 65, you know, <laughs> and it's really for anybody that wants to go on a hero journey. Mm -hmm. And of course you never know who's going to read the book. You pretty much opened a whole new portal, a new reinvention on that one. So that's another reinvention. Absolutely. For you. And, and, you know, and for anybody that's listening right now to this podcast, if you subscribe to my newsletter at my website, which is deborahdriggs.com, fill out the newsletter, you know, subscribe and tell me when I uh, email you that you were listening to the show, just send me a little note saying I was listening to the show and I'll send you a signed copy of the book within the U.S. And if you're outside of the U.S., I'll send you the PDF. Sounds good. We'll certainly do that. And where can we find your book and uh, all your works at, Deborah? At my website, every, all the information that you want about me, my coaching, my books, 
everything is at my website, which is my name, DebraDriggs.com. We will certainly check that out. Once again, we're with the uh, author of the book, uh, Son of a Boss, Deborah Driggs on the Mike Wagner Show, model, actress, cheerleader, figure skater, and successful in the um, in the business and also the uh, financial industry. A very big thank you for your time. Just a couple of things. What else can we expect me in 2023 and beyond, Deborah? Well, I'm writing on, I'm writing two books right now. I'm working on my memoir and I'm also coming up with this, this 90 day detox for relationships. I've decided I'm going to put that into a book. And so that's coming up. And then I have a weekly blog. So every week, and then in 2021, I did a small part in a movie called Neon Bleed. Mm. And so that's coming out this year. So you can look for that. And again, all this information is at my website so that people know books, movies, podcasts, radio shows, you know, blogs. If you want to read articles, it's all on my website. All right. Well, certainly check that out, Deborah. And who do you consider biggest influence in your career? That there's so many, I mean, uh, for my insurance industry, my partners, for sure, they, they really taught me everything I know, um, in my acting and modeling industry, I would say the people that I really looked up to were Kathy Ireland and, uh, Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. you know, I think they had really beautiful careers. They do have be- really beautiful careers. And I think Kathy Ireland was extremely brilliant in how she just created a multi-billion dollar business. I have coaches and mentors that I look up to. I think Tony Robbins is, is one of those people that really walks his talk. He's been in the business for 40 years, still teaching the same basic stuff. And, you know, that's not hard. That's not easy to do. Um, And then, you know, I really look up to Jesse Itzler and Sarah Blakely. I think they have a beautiful relationship and family and they're like a relationship to aspire to, mm-hmm. you know, as far as a partnership goes. So God, there's so many, I, I mean, Oprah, obviously, <laughs> you know, princess Diana, bless her heart. She, I loved, I loved, you know, following her and her life and her career. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have a lot of people in my life that are mentors that people that I know, and then people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And certainly amazing, a King scroll. That's very impressive. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Well, my best advice is never make any decisions when you're in an emotional state. Good point. And work on yourself for 30 days before leaving a relationship. Don't threaten the relationship. And if you're not sure what any of that means, book a complimentary call with me and I'll walk you through that. We'll certainly do so, and that's great advice to heed, too. We're with uh, Deborah Driggs of um, Son of a Bosque and uh, model, actress, cheerleader, and extraordinary here on the Mike Wagner Show. Deborah, very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Great journey. I love having you on. Looking forward thank to having you again soon. No problem. And uh, just keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love to have you back. And um, once again, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your books and check out your goods? DebraDriggs.com. My name, DebraDriggs.com. We will certainly check that out. Once again, Deborah, very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Live have you back and wish you all the best. And Deborah, you definitely have a great future. Have you? Thank you so much.